The views and opinions the views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Have you ever wondered if there was a better way to do business? Well, our guest today, David Burkus, is the author of a new book called Under New Management, How Leading Organizations Are Upending Business as Usual. David is a best-selling author, an award-winning podcaster, and a management professor. In 2015, he was named one of the emerging thought leaders most likely to shape the future of business by Thinkers 50, the world's premier ranking of management thinkers. His latest book, as I just mentioned, Under New Management, challenges the traditional and widely accepted principles of business management and proves that they're outdated, outmoded, or that they just simply don't work. But he goes a step further. He reveals what actually does. He's also the author of The Myths of Creativity, and he's a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review and Forbes. His work's been featured in Fast Company, Inc., The Financial Times, Bloomberg Business Week, CBS This Morning, and several others. When he's not speaking or writing, he's in the classroom. He's an associate professor of management at Oral Roberts University, where he teaches courses on organizational behavior, creativity, and innovation and strategic leadership. He was recently named one of the top 40 under 40 professors who inspires. Welcome to the show today, David. Well, thank you so much for having me and for making me sound way cooler than I really am. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, you are pretty cool from what I've read about <laughs> you. And, and you oh, I, absolutely. And, and from, from what I've seen of your book here, let's talk about this book here uh, for a minute. Under New Management, uh, How Leading Organizations Are Upending Business as Usual. You've been teaching business management for a while. I've been working with business owners and business managers and business book writers for decades. And there's always a book that says, here's a different way to do things. How is your book different and why is the time right for these kinds of new ways of thinking? Yeah, well, I mean, I would say the first way that my my book is different is that it's not uh, it's not me saying, here's how to do things. It's Mm -hmm. actually me saying, here's how the companies that are attracting top talent engaging, have, you know, crazy employee engagement rates, those sort of things. Here's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And also here's the science behind sort of why it works from a psychological standpoint. So, you know, I'm not, I don't have that sort of four box model that everything will be perfect if you just figure out what box you're in and then install my action plan type of business book. My goal is really to sort of survey the good ideas that are out there and then pair that with the research that shows, okay, here's why these things are working and especially why they're working right now. As I, as I like to joke a lot of times, the future of work is already here. It's just not evenly dispersed. And so my <laughs> job is to point to those companies that I think represent the future of how we're going to do work and then point that out and point out how to get there. Okay. And, and that's so very true. I mean, you are actually showcasing companies who are in the throes of making these things, or have they've implemented these ideas? They are working. They are getting results. And you're not just somebody up in an ivory tower saying, "Oh, do this principle, do this principle, or whatever." When you were doing your research, as you were studying various companies, first of all, uh, what was your process for 
studying them, reviewing them, and then second of all, what did you get? Have any findings that just made your jaw drop, or uh, you know, made you sit up in your chair and go, "Wow"? Yeah. So the the process um, was was fair, I mean fairly simple, although uh, that's me saying that. So that's me condensing you know two years worth of research, but. Uh, you know, I, I looked at, there's a lot more, there's 13 um, practices in the book. There's a lot more than that that you sort of find, right, that are all mm-hmm. over popular literature, um, you know, your fast company and ink and all of those places. Right. And and what I was looking for was, does the idea work across companies in various different industries, right? So just because it's this cool thing that tech companies are doing, I, I want to also know, can it work for a supermarket, right? Mm-hmm. Or can it work for a deli or something like that? Right. Um, at, in the same token, I also needed to see, does, is there a body of social science research, psychology, sociology, et cetera, um, that, that supports whether or not this is, this is a good idea? So it wasn't just, is this kind of an idea that's cool and working? Is it, can we point to the principle behind why it's working? And I think that's really important because it's not just, I mean, my goal wasn't just to say, here's what Google does. There's enough books out there that say, here's what Google, here's how to be the next Facebook by copying Facebook as, yes. as if that would work. <laughs> There's enough of those. What, what I wanted was, here's an idea that's working in a variety of different industries, in a variety of different companies, and it's working because there's a deeper principle of human behavior behind why it works. Um, so that's, that was sort of the method for coming up with these practices. I would say the one that, that shocked me the most or that over the course of two years um, – I kind of, I almost did a 180. Let's call it a, a 172 <laughs> degree turn okay. on it. On it was um, the concept of salary transparency. I, you know, I started oh, out yes. as kind of like, a, wow, that's a crazy idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, you know, I dug into the research first behind it and was thinking, well, actually, okay, from the from the human behavior side, there's a pretty good case for this. And then looking at it and working in in various different companies, I, I sort of, I really pivoted and I'm thinking, okay, now this is a this is a really good idea. My all of all of my initial sort of instincts around privacy, et cetera, was like I, I get it. This is uncomfortable. At the same time, there are bigger things that are uncomfortable that get resolved if we're willing to put up with this discomfort. So, I really did a one one hundred and seventy three degree turn on this one, and was not expecting to become an advocate. I ended up giving you know a TEDx talk on uh, the whole thing, advocating for this practice. So I was not expecting that when I started out down this journey. Yeah, and if we could just stay there for a minute and talk about the salary transparency, myself included, and I imagine many of our listeners here today would agree, salary, we're going to have people fighting with each other in the office hallways if we make it known what kind of salaries different people are making. What is the case behind salary transparency? Why, does, why is it effective to let everybody know what everybody's making? Yeah. So, so for starters, those those things are already happening, right? The the judgment, the comparisons, the arguments. Someone leaves a pay stub on the copier, and everyone's <laughs> shouting at each other. That's that's already happening. Mm-hmm. The the interesting thing is there's so there's two sort of pieces of research that I draw from. The the first is um, there's and this is why I know it's already happening. There's a about a 50 plus year old um, very very well researched theory called equity theory, which basically says that people in a, in a workplace are always comparing their inputs and outputs to the inputs and outputs of other people. In other words, I, I work so hard and I get paid so much and, you know, Kelly works so hard and she gets paid so much. And, and that's okay as long as those things are equitable, not equal, but equitable. Mm-hmm. So if I'm working a 15 and get paid a 15, that's great. If you're working a 20 and get paid a 20, that's great. When I'm working a 10 and getting paid a 15, you might be a little bit upset, right? Sure. Or vice versa. And, and so that's, that's the rationale actually behind keeping it sort of private right? Because we, we wouldn't want to disrupt these things. But the truth is we're always seeking this information out, right? So we're, we're making guesses even when we don't have the available information. Now, in the past 20 years or so, there's been a lot of studies that show when we don't have that information, you know, we consistently believe we work harder than we do. 
And we consistently believe people, who, uh, other people work less hard than they do, right? Likewise, uh, uh, there's a lot of research where we ask people to sort of guess the salaries of people uh, in other places in the org chart. We actually consistently guess that people underneath us in the hierarchy are overpaid and that people above us are underpaid. Now, I know that that sort of bucks the stereotype of the overpaid middle mm -hmm. manager type yes. of, of role. But the, but the truth is it's actually even more damaging. If, we, if we're looking at all of the work that those sort of middle managers and VPs have to do and we're saying, well, they don't make that much more than, than I do, then what's the motivation to even work hard to move up in the organization, right? Right. But my, my point is if we're always making these comparisons and we're always sort of seeking out this information, but we're really bad at guessing, then assuming we have a company that has a, a fair system. And I think most organizations want to do good by their employees, want to have a fair system, then we only stand to benefit from actually saying, here's the system we use to pay. Now, that, that could be sharing everyone's salary or it could be as simple as just saying, here's how we calculate pay. But in any case, like giving that information over to people and letting them make those comparisons on, with real accurate information, not only does that sort of uh, alleviate some of these frustrations that are born of people actually having misinformation, misguessed, you know, or missed assumptions on people's efforts, at the, at the same time, it shifts the conversation. So it's no longer, you know, Bill is overpaid. It's now more Bill is overpaid. So what does that mean for our salary system? Let's have a conversation about how to fix it. And so mm -hmm. you find in a lot of cases in these companies, they tried to make everything fair. They made it transparent. But the conversations afterwards made it even more fair because now people had some recourse and could take it to, you know, HR to senior leadership and say, we need to alter our system because this inequity is is happening inside our system when it's when it's totally dark mm -hmm. there's no motivation to change those things and i think that frustration just compounds so right. so the comparisons are happening anyway right so giving good data means the comparisons can actually lead to a more fair system instead of just keeping it the way it is and hoping no one gets too mad to quit Yes. No, those are very good arguments. And another one that you revealed in your book that I thought was uh, wonderful is, is a, a, not a moratorium, but you, you, ha you have email dark periods during the day where employees are not allowed to be on email so that they can get work done and so that they can think without distraction. I thought that was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm, I'm actually okay with a moratorium, too. Um, <laughs> so I, I look at, uh, in the beginning of that chapter, I look at a company called Atos Origin, mm -hmm. which is a French, a France-based technology company, 70,000 employees, and they've actually have been taking steps to eliminate all internal email. Now, I, don't, I think you'll never do away with email as, as entirely because a client is going to do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. But internally, we're really finding it's not the best tool for communication, right? Even in the workplace, it's very distracting, right? You get that little bing from your Outlook or Mac Mail or whatever you use, and suddenly you're, you're back in that window instead of in the window where you were working. And it can take upwards of 15 minutes to, to get back and be focused. Yes. Even, and, and, you know, if, you're, if your email system's checking every five minutes, then you're not doing yourself any favor because every time, every five minutes you get distracted and it takes 15 minutes to get back. But then the other thing that you were talking about, this idea of put dark periods, et cetera, I think is even more valuable. I mean, the, the reality is if you have a smartphone, then no matter how hard you try, you take your work home with you every day. And that doesn't do well for work-life balance. doesn't do well for your, your family and friends that are in your life. It doesn't do well for the company by giving you sort of time to have downtime and rest. If you've got a, an iPhone or an Android or any kind of smartphone that checks email, you're bringing your, your work home with you every day. And that's a recipe for burnout.
It absolutely is. And on that note, we are going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to be talking about some of the other findings that David discusses in his new book, Under New Management, and why some companies embrace these kinds of changes and why some are resistant. You're listening to Smart Companies Radio on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Looking to establish your brand as an industry leader? Want to deliver helpful, relevant content to your niche audience? Look no further. Our staff at Custom Publishing can produce branded newsletters, magazines, podcasts, and so much more. We'll take you from concept to distribution or assist you with any stage in between. Writing, editing, design, audio production, voiceovers, digital, print. If you have a communication need, we have a solution. Call 913-831-8100. Call us today and discuss the possibilities. That's 913-831-8100 for all your custom publishing needs. Every hiring manager knows that a company is only as good as the people it's made from. So where do you find the best people? That may surprise you. Meet the grads of life, young adults of unique determination and experience, an ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. This is talent worth knowing about. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Interested in growing your business? Thinking Bigger Business Media has the resources you need to grow your company to the next level, whether it's an aspiring business, a startup, established, or mature. Thinking Bigger provides the how-to strategies, critical connections, and key information to make your business more productive and more profitable. Check them out at ithinkbigger.com and find out what successful Kansas City business owners already know. Thinking Bigger Business Media is the resource for growing businesses. Visit them today at ithinkbigger.com. Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here this morning with David Burkus. He's the author of a new book out called Under New Management, How Leading Organizations Are Upending Business as Usual. And we're talking about some of the findings. He didn't just go out and, and find a principle and then we have to adhere to it and and practice all of these things just because he's saying so or he thinks it's a good idea. He actually went out and found companies that are already practicing these things and are having great success because of it. So I think I'm going to turn that upside down a little bit, David, and ask you, uh, why do companies right now especially find the need to upend business, to not just be following business practices that have carried companies for decades and in some people's eyes are probably these are kind of drastic measures sharing salaries saying no email um why why are companies embracing these types of practices yeah so so i actually i traced this all back to about a hundred years ago around um 1915 was when frederick taylor published principles of scientific management the first sort of real management book out there and uh the idea was here is our research on how to manage a factory well, very few of us still work in a, in a factory setting. And even, even those people who do, that, that factory is so complex that I don't think even Taylor's ideas would, would work because there's, there's really what, what I like to call of it as, as an idea factory. People today, most of the work that, that we're doing involves coming up with ideas, solving problems, making decisions, those sort of things. And that, that requires a different type of energy. It's not brute force anymore. It's, it's brain. It's not yes. muscle. It's mind, right? So we drug a lot of these Taylorism ideas with us from the factory to the office. And they worked for a, a period of time. But as we move more and more into this knowledge work economy or creative work economy that we're all talking about, a lot of these things are, are falling behind. And so these, the companies that I profile in under management, they're the ones that had to 
figure out, okay, we don't, we don't run a factory anymore. We don't need these ideas anymore. They're not helping us. So we need to begin to experiment. And, and I think that that's actually the key word is experiment, right? These, all of these ideas are experiments at raising the engagement levels, getting uh, more productivity out of people, actually getting people to have a more enjoyable workplace too. So they bring more of themselves to work. These are all experiments towards that, that aim. And I don't think we're done yet. I think this is the beginning of a big shift um, that'll happen. I, I mean, I hope I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, so I hope it happens in the next 15 to 20 years that we finish this shift. But we're standing at the beginning of that, and it comes from that realization that the rules of management were built for a different type of work. And we've known that we've been shifting for a long time. We're just now sort of realizing we need to shift how we manage that work, too. Exactly. So with all of this evidence where, you know, there's actual companies that are thriving because they're adopting these kinds of mindsets and adopting these types of shifts and practices, why are so many companies still resistant to these kinds of changes? The most common thing I hear is, is kind of exactly what you said in, in the previous question, which is, well, the, the way that we're doing it is working. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's true, sort of, right? And I use this analogy at the very end of, of my book that, that if we define, if we have a loose definition of working, that's still true. So by, by all means, don't change, right? But I, I look at it like uh, the internal combustion engine of a car, right? So if thermo, I don't remember a lot from physics, but I remember this around thermodynamics. An internal combustion engine, only about 30% efficient, and the rest is lost to heat friction, all sorts of stuff. And when I think about an organization, an organization's job is to capture the energy of its people and turn it into sort of a productive thing. But the companies that are doing business as usual, yeah, it's working, but it's only about as efficient as is an internal combustion engine. And I think we need more out of that. And I think that what's interesting is that the most talented individuals and the people with a lot of wealth of experience and the most creative ideas, they're attracted to the companies that are doing this differently Mm -hmm. because they're more engaging place to work. So I mean, by all means, don't, don't change. It's fine. If you're happy with 30% engagement, don't, don't change at all. But as I said at the beginning of the interview, the future is already here. It's just not evenly dispersed. Your talent is going to go to these companies that are doing it. So, no, you don't, you don't have to change. Uh, you just probably won't have a business anymore. Right. So, you know, well, there's that. And using that 30% analogy that you did, it's going – if. It, to stay up to date with these companies or to move as fast, it's going to take more resources. You know, if they're only moving at 30%, it's going to take a lot more people or a lot more machines or something to try to keep these pe- up to speed, and it's going to cost more money. And one way or the other, you're going to be left behind. Now, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, exactly. so now uh, I'm a business owner. Most of the people listening today are business owners. You start thinking about all the processes that you have and the people that you have. Um, you said experiment. You just jump in somewhere and say, okay, we're going to play with this this week. How do you know what rules to break or where to even begin with this? Yeah, so, so here's the dirty little secret of the whole book, right? It looks like there are 13 practices that you have to add on to your organization. But in reality, every single one of them is actually a process of elimination, right? Mm-hmm. Most of them from salary transparency, unlimited vacations. Look at what are the things that are holding your people back? And let's start there. Let's start by eliminating them. And you'll find that you're actually starting down this road towards these new ideas. Do you engage your staff, your employees in this decision making as you're trying to uh, make this mindset shift and implement some of these new practices? Obviously, it depends on the, the individual practice, but yes, you know, a lot of times, a lot of the business owners I, I talk to that are resistant to change, uh, essentially, there's a distrust going on between the owner and their employee, and mm-hmm. they basically fear that if they did this, their employees would take advantage of them, and it makes me wonder, okay, what are your employees' perceptions of you then? You only stand to benefit from engaging them in that conversation, uh, and, and listening, uh, honestly, listening as if you were wrong, being willing to let your employees tell you you're wrong on this, and then taking that and balancing it out with your own experiences and deciding where to go. You, you don't need to do it sort of by 
by democracy, by majority vote, but you definitely need to listen to your people about where we should start eliminating things. This is a lot of change, and the companies that you profile in here are certainly on the cutting edge with a lot of the things that they're doing. But what do you think the next big change? We're, we're living in such a, a rapidly evolving world. Uh, this this is one thing right now, but what do you what do you see about the future? Yeah, so I'm I'm really intrigued by uh, Ubers and Airbnbs and Lyft and those companies, not because of that sort of platform model that everybody's talking about, but I think they bring with them this realization that essentially, you know, outside of of military service, everyone, whether you work for a for profit nonprofit, right, and, and Uber and Airbnbs and Lyft and those companies, they're trying to figure out how to run an entire company around just independent contracts. I think there are lessons there that every company is going to have to learn from because the reality is everybody's – if you've got a modicum of talent and can walk away and find a new job and not starve, you're essentially there as a volunteer. Yeah, you're getting something out of it. When companies realize that their people are, are giving them a gift of showing up to work, right? Right. Uh, then, and volunteering to show up to work, that's going to change a lot of our future mentalities about how we manage people. So that's, that's kind of where I see it going. There wasn't enough there to begin to write about in this book. But I definitely think that that's going to bring about some changes, even in the traditional employee-employer relationship. Yeah, well, and I bet we will see a book eventually from you on that. So, uh, <laughs> But speaking, speaking of your current book, where can our listeners find it? And also, how can they find out more about you and the other resources that you have to offer? Because you have companion workbooks and resources for your books, right? Yes, yeah. So, I mean, so the book is available at, at fine bookstores everywhere. If you can't find it at that bookstore, it means it's not a fine bookstore. <laughs> um, you know, a- Amazon, IndieBound, all of those places. The best place if you really want to get started is davidberkus.com. That's my website, and that's B-U-R-K-U-S. And, and the reason for it is exactly what you said. There's a lot of resources. I've done, I did audio interviews with a lot of the leaders that I profile in the book, workbooks, discussion guides, all sorts of stuff. So whether you're ready for, to grab the book or where you just want more information, there's a lot of resources there at davidberkus.com that will move you forward on, along these ideas. Okay, davidberkus.com. Go out. You can buy the book. You can find the other resources and listen to some of the audio interviews that he did with some of the companies that were profiled in the books. David, thank you so much for your insights today and much continued success. Thank you so much for having me. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at ithinkbigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.